Jacob Chastain, I have a question for you. I don't know if it's the one you want. <laughs> don't think it's as hard as the one from the one you asked me last time about music. However, I would like to know if you could go on any vacation. Because I am starting to get in vacation mode. Uh-huh. I need some ideas. Some ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> what kind of vacation would would Jacob Chastain take? Oh my God. Okay, so we have this the. This is a hard question, isn't it? Well, I don't travel. Because you okay. don't do anything. So uh-huh. I'm saying, let's just pretend that you did. Where would so, you go? What would you do? I've thought about this. I've been to the beach a handful of times. Not any good beach, just Galveston. Well, I'm told. I, that's all Galveston's I know. So I assume. No, well, that's the, hang on. There that's are what better I'm told. ones. So that's what I'm told. So I just accept what people tell me because I haven't been anywhere. The beach gets boring. Like every time we've gone, I have been like, I don't know. Like I just want to do other things. Now I like sitting. I like hearing the ocean. Um, I like the water. Like I like that whole vibe. Right. I love. I just like water, but um, it gets boring. Like, I can't sit on the beach for that long. I can't, like, be in a different place for that long. Like, ultimately, like, I just want to, like, go back in my hole and, you know, do whatever oh I want to do. It's just, like, I don't want to do that. So I've thought about this in just terms of, like, traveling. Now, a few months ago, I went to Vegas, which was super fun. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. I Honestly, I thought I would hate it, but I ended up really liking it. Um, it was just... The energy of it, the, I guess, the intoxicating nature of just being in a place that is, you know, always awake and like casinos. Like, I just think they're fascinating, right? Like, it's just an interesting mm-hmm. place to be in general. But even then, it's like, I don't know. It's not really a vacation. So truthfully, like my, like, if we're talking ideal, I want to see some wonders of the world. Like, I want to go like Egypt, and see the great pyramids like that is like ideal or go to, uh, you know, South America and see some of those pyramids. There's, there's all kinds of really great structures, um, that were built there. But if we're talking, you know, local, so United States, like honestly, I think like it, I, so my first thought was like, uh, Washington, um, DC just to go see, you know, like the our country's, you know, history and whatnot. Or I think New York mm-hmm. would be cool because they have some really great like libraries and whatnot. <clears throat> but I just saw something that actually intrigued me, which is interesting that you uh, asked this question, which was a lot of people go to the Grand Canyon. But did you know the Grand Canyon had tunnels and caves that had Egyptian stuff inside? I saw something about that, but I didn't read it. Really? Yes. And that made me like the Grand Canyon has always been the lamest thing to me. Like it's I mean, it's cool in terms of like uh it's big and, you know, it has so many layers and blah, 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 blah. But what really got me interested, this was last night I was watching this. It has like these caves and stuff that have been attributed like they found like these Egyptian stuff. So there's theories out there that Egyptians made it. To the United States. Well, there wasn't the United States at the time, obviously, but North America. And they built like these underground structures and stuff. And I just think that's really fascinating. I never knew this. 
it was it was so random to me that I kind of stumbled across this. But like, so anything like that, like when I think of vacation, it's like I want to go somewhere and be in awe of something I've never seen before. Like I don't want to, like I don't really care about like. I don't know. I guess sightseeing is not the right word, but I don't care about like, you know, being in the crowd, going to the big cities. Like, I mean, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, like I want to if I'm going to go on vacation, I want to experience something that is going to change me. I want to experience something that makes me think about life differently, that that alters my perception on reality or my place in the universe or whatever. Right. Like that's that's really what I think about. When I think about these things and that that's that's the stuff that excites me. Like I know a lot of people are like I want to go to a cabin in the woods and hang out for a week. And it's like, why? Like, that's so boring. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, if I'm going to go somewhere, I want to be changed. Like, I think about like uh, when I was a kid, um, one of my best friends at the time, he is no longer alive. R.I.P. Uh, but one of my best friends at a time, uh, he took me to El Paso with his grandma uh, well, with his family, but we went to El Paso where they kind of lived. And it was kind of like really right, right on the edge from Mexico. We went to Mexico, but we also visited like a bunch of like old like churches. Like I just remember we just went and toured and like went to all these different churches. Um, and it was so cool to me, not because of the religious aspect, just because it was old, right? There was so much history there. And that's the stuff that's really fascinating to me is just like being able to look at something and go and like, man, like people... Like have touched this stone, like you know, for hundreds of years or thousands of years or whatever, and it's that's really interesting to me, and I think that's why I love like old books, and that's why when I said New York, it's like I don't care about New York in general, but I want to go to like an old library and like look at like old archives. Like I don't care. Like the Declaration of Independence is interesting only because of how ancient it is and how like. Uh, well, it's not really ancient, I guess. I mean, in retrospect, it's not ancient, but like just how uh, significant it is and how old it is. And just to see something go, man, other people touch it. That's why the Egypt is obviously so fascinating to me because it's like, I mean, I was watching a video with Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he asked the question. It was on Joe Rogan podcast. Actually, he goes, he goes, do you know? So the pyramids, the Great Pyramid was the tallest structure in the world, the most stable, tallest structure in the world until what next building? And they talked about it for a while. It was the Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower was the next most stable, tallest building. Imagine the gap of time it took to go from the Great Pyramids to the Eiffel Tower. Incredible. Like just just like the, the like just the fathom that like it's so interesting to me so to answer your question vacation all about something historic something that you look at and you're just changed when you see just the miraculousness of what humanity can do or what nature can do i suppose but i think that's the stuff that excites me i don't know that's my answer and i lock it in right now all right we're locking it in i've been to some of those places you talked about I've been on the very top of the Eiffel Tower. I mean, not the tip top, but the top layer of the Eiffel Tower. And that was pretty cool and awesome. And then uh, El Paso, you brought that up. And my husband, before he passed away, he that's where his mom is buried, is in El Paso. That's where he grew up. And um, I tell you what, those of, if we have listeners in El Paso, he took me to Chico's Tacos. <laughs> you haven't lived unless you had Chico's Tacos. 
and they'll know what I'm talking about. But the Hatch Chilies, and everything was made with Hatch Chilies there, and uh, because it's so close to New Mexico, the food was wonderful. So I enjoyed doing that as well. And then Washington D.C., uh, just going through the Smithsonian's. And going to Arlington Cemetery, when you're talking about Mm. historical, um, gosh, I mean, when I, I couldn't stop crying the minute I walked. I mean, it's like I walked right into the the front gates and I couldn't stop it. When you see the crosses and you see all the people who've given their lives for our country so that we can live here today, it just, of course, you know, I'm very patriotic like that. And so it really uh, moved me uh, going to Mount Vernon was uh, amazing as well. So, uh, you know, like I'm like you, I like seeing the historical things. Um, I think it's fascinating that somebody was there before us. And, you know, often uh, I kind of find that fun. Uh, the house that I live in, uh, you know, it was built in the 50s. But uh, one day this man comes to my door and he's like, my parents built this house. I grew up in it and I'm writing my memoirs. And is this do you real? mind if I come? Yeah, it really did happen. What? And he goes, do you mind if I come into your house and just look around? Because I just, I'm trying to remember some things. And I said, sure. And so he comes on in and um, Anyway, yeah, he's a he's a writer for uh, a screenplay writer for Lifetime Television, and he's written a novel that uh, a novel years ago. In you know, he's obviously older than me, so in the eighties, and uh, that Rob Lowe played in. Um, anyway, it's kind of uh, Alan Hines is his name, but he he looked around, and it was really cool because. This place where I live in every place, if you're not the first owner, you know, you're making history. But, you know, there's history here in that sense that this was his family's first house. So I learned that his parents were a lawyer and he talked about how, you know, they somebody had opened up the main room in the front, you know, how they take down walls and open it up. And he was like, oh, this was closed because this was the formal living room. And anytime we would sit on the couch or something in there, we would get in trouble. So they have this back way. uh, And I'm actually in that room and it's, it's a, it's a back way so that you can get to the kitchen and not go through the formal the formal room so the room i'm in have so has some uh door doors to it that kind of you're thinking what but it it kind of opens up to the hallway to go outside and then it opens up to the kitchen so it's kind of a neat little thing and he talked about how he slid and and uh you know broke his ankle because he slid too far into the kitchen and hit something but it's just kind of neat and he talked about the tree house uh my son we built a tree house with him but he had there was a tree house before that you know that had been taken down and so it's just kind of neat to hear the history of a place and to know that like you said so a writer lived in my house grew up in my house pretty cool huh that is super cool. Yeah. So anyway, I'm just curious. No, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go to a beach pretty soon. So summer's on its way. Man. And with that, everybody, welcome to Craft and Draft. That's right. <laughs> 
So what are we talking about today, Jacob? Or you go ahead and introduce us, if you will. Oh, my Lord. Just dropping the ball on the intro. You're welcome. Anytime. I'm not doing well all of a sudden. That's Pamela's show. I'm Jacob Chastain. This is the Crap the Draft podcast. Talk about what we love and do is the reading, writing workshop and everything in between at this point. Uh, We talked about so much. Last week, we talked about going through hard times. We've talked about conferencing. We've talked about data. We've talked about interviewing. We've talked about so many things. So if you enjoy these kinds of topics, if you enjoy listening to two educators still in public schools doing what we love, then join us. We'd love to have you over here. And how can you join us, you ask? Well, first of all, you can subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss anything. We drop an episode every single Friday, mostly. Every once in a while, things Mostly. come up. It's been, a, it's been a weird transition for everyone. You know, there's technical difficulties every once in a while. I'm an assistant principal, first year assistant principal, so things have just changed in terms of scheduling. Things I can't predict. I didn't know prom was going to take up so much of my time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So subscribe, leave a review. That's how you support us. But you can also support us on Patreon. They get a bonus episode every single month. They get bonus videos. If they are at the proper tier, they get access to our training and so much more. You can do that at patreon.com slash craft the draft or just find the link at craft the draft workshop.com. Just like Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Aaliyah, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Melissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna all do currently. They support us. They keep the lights on. They allow us to not have ads on the show. They allow us to keep the podcast going and so much more. So if you want to go join them, go do so. We try to make it worth your while. We're going to have some trainings coming up here in the summer like we always do. Get you ready for the next year, etc., etc., etc. By the way, I wrote you, I don't know if you know this, but that's like my podcast voice. I say etc. I didn't realize that. So people who like listen to any of the shows, they'll be like, if I say etc. like in person, they're like, oh, Podcast Chastain's coming. I, I didn't realize that. It's really interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. It's no, interesting. I never knew. I never noticed that. Well, it is what it is. So, regardless, ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to be talking about how do you make kids feel successful? Not just be successful, but feel successful. I think there's a distinct difference. We're going to talk all about that today. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Craft and Draft. Alrighty, Ochoa. Successful. I think the the key piece to this is acknowledging that there's a lot of people out there who don't feel successful, even though they are, right? It's almost like a some people are bottomless wells. They just can never be satisfied, a good and a bad thing. Um, and then there's people who have a low self-esteem, so much so that even when they're good, they don't feel like they're successful. Where would you put yourself on a spectrum of that? Do you ever feel like you're successful? Do you feel like you're successful now? Or are you kind of a curmudgeon? I'm always a curmudgeon. I knew that was the answer. I already knew this. I just wanted the audience to know. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Really? You think I'm a curmudgeon? You really do? Oh, no. I'm the one who said that. No, honestly, Um, I don't know if you do feel successful at times. Like, I think it depends on your mood. You're very Mm. self-depreciating. That is a fact about just who you are. But... I'm self-depreciating. I've heard that a lot. I think I do that (laughs) because maybe it's because I'm trying to be humble and I guess I'm not. I've had a lot of success. Uh, Just about not everything that I do ends up being successful. I mean, but I end up, I think because my parents pray for me a lot. 
and Lord, I need it. But um, they they pray for me a lot. And I think that that really has a lot to do with it. But, you know, I've when I was little, younger, uh, my, I uh, actually was a gymnast. I have I have quite a few ribbons doing that and I could do stuff that nobody else could do. And so uh, then when I became an athlete, as far as like for volleyball, basketball, I turned out to be pretty good at it and you know went to college doing it and then we ended up being fourth in the nation in college so when you're looking at those things I've had a lot of success does that make sense I usually end up on top but do I always feel successful I don't know I feel like I can always do better but I don't know if that but I recognize that I've been successful so what does that make me I don't know so so sometimes you know when I feel like Maybe I do the self-deprecating in a way because it's just my way of trying to not recognize or let other people know that I have been successful and I recognize it. I don't know. Why are we psychoanalyzing me all of a sudden? <laughs> That's what this podcast is the about. World. It's the, the analyze world. Joy. <laughs> what do y'all think? Write in your answer. Yeah. yeah. They've been listening to me for three years. Almost, That's right. So. I mean, there's they probably literally, know me better than I know me. <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. Like sometimes I'm like, man, if someone really wants to know me, just I. There's literally thousands of hours of my voice on the pot, like uh, just on the internet. Right. It's, it's scary, so a little bit, but it's also you know it is it is what it is. Like mm-hmm. I, I think it pays to be honest uh, for other people, but. I don't know. So I had an experience today. So we did a lot of interviews. We have an opening. Um, in our administration team. And so we were all a part of some interviews, all the assistant principals who were going to be there next year. And it was really interesting because we were weighing like, like something came up and I said, like, I don't remember how it did in all honesty, but I had said something along the lines of like, it doesn't, it's not a bad thing to know what you're good at. Right. And I can actually attribute that to, one of my drumline directors when I was in high school is he made the comment to me. He was like, you know, it's not a, it's not a bad thing to know what you're good at. You don't want to be arrogant, but you want to know your strengths essentially. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I've always kind of ran with that. And I think that's what like, I don't know. Like, I think I've, I've had to overcome so much that sometimes I overcompensate, not over. That's probably the wrong one. Maybe when I was younger, I definitely did. But like, as an adult, as an adult and where I am now, I don't necessarily overcompensate. I think I just speak with authority on certain things, even when I might not be the authority on something. And so I think it can come off wrong at times because I like for the amount of people who maybe criticize me or listen to me on podcasts and they're like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Or I mean, even coworkers or colleagues or whatever who are like, Chastain doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, like no one criticizes me more than me, but I don't do that openly. Like I wear my confidence on my sleeves rather than my criticisms. And I think that's an interesting choice, but I think that's what like kids do, right? Like I think you have kids who come in and they wear their confidence on their sleeves, but you know that they're not fully confident. You know that they have that self-esteem issue. They know, you know that like you see their data, right? You see their work mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, you... You're confident, but you read at a third grade level as an eighth grader, right? Like 
there's you see that piece. And I think it's interesting just to analyze that, like that stuff carries with you all the way through adulthood. And I think that's what like when we're talking about the the just the topic of how do you make kids feel successful? I think there is like you were like, why are you psychoanalyzing me? Like, I think there is <laughs> a, a psychoanalysis um, relevant to this. So I don't know. Like, how do you. What do you, how do you think that is? Like I, we can take this from either angle, whichever one you think is an easier place to start. Like, is it easier to break through to a kid who is less confident and to build that confidence? Or is it easier to break through a kid who has like this bravado about them or bravado, however you say it about them and, and break through that to make them like have actual confidence. Which one do you think is, is an easier starting place? Probably where they're, I don't know. That's a good question because I think I've been successful in, in, in both situations and not successful in both situations. I think uh, it just depends on where their lack or feeling of success comes from. I think that has a lot to do with it, but um, that's where if they're, if they're not feeling confident or even if they are feeling confident, I think, I think the secret sauce, if you will, is putting everything on the process. It's not that you're not there yet. It's that you're going there and you have made your own path and I'm going to help you get there, you know, that kind of thing. And then you celebrate every, every little milestone that they, they make. Now I have a kid right now who's he doesn't want the kids. I, this is my analysis of him. I don't think he wants anyone to know how smart he really is. So he really needs to be in honors classes when it comes to his ability. But he lower per, he performs lower than he can. Uh, what I mean, like when he turns in his work and things like that, he's he's a lot lower. Uh, but then when he does a test or are things like that, then he does really well. So what happens is he'll sit in the classroom and he'll go, I ain't doing no work for you. Okay. And then he's all, you know, like looking cool and the kids think he's cool. And then later on when nobody's watching, like before, after school, or, you know, once the kids leave, he might hang back a little bit and he'll go, now, Mr. Cho, what am I supposed to do on that assignment again? <laughs> Like I'm like, oh, okay. Well, well, what are you gonna do? You didn't do it all day today. And he's like, Oh, well, I know that, but um, I'm gonna do it at home. And he'll do whatever he does at home, he'll turn it in and it's pretty good. The thing is, is you're thinking, well, maybe somebody at home is doing it for him. You know, that that's one of the things you think, but then when you give him it, nobody's there to do the test and nobody's there to write for him when he actually has to write for me for a test or something like that in, in the classroom and he performs well, but he doesn't want anybody to know. Isn't that weird? It is weird. Why do you think that is? I think because I think sometimes it's more socially acceptable to be like the average person than to be above because he's got a group of friends he wants to fit in with. And I guess he probably doesn't think they're very, very smart. So he, but he doesn't, he wants to be with them. Does that make sense? So he lower, he, he underperforms. Um, 
but what's interesting is there's another kid that I've got and he is all like his his low performance is about as high as he's going to get even if he tries and all of a sudden if he turns something in he's like I know it's not going to be any good cuz I don't understand it I never understand it well most of the time he really doesn't so I, that's where I come in and I'll say, well, let's look and see how you did in the past. Oh, yeah, you were pretty low, but look where you are now. You've improved at least 10 points. And so I take them and show them the places where they have grown, hoping to build on what they're about to do. You know what I mean? To ho- Hopefully to build growth. I think I think the, the trick is there's not really any tricks, but... I think it's convincing them that the growth is what's most important. What do you think? I don't know. Like, so, you know, for people who listen to the podcast often, you know, they, they know, you know, where I taught and everything. It was very challenging for a lot of years. And I dealt with a lot of kids who struggled to find confidence, struggled to be... <clears throat> positive about uh just their success right and even like so i had like a few kids reached out to me recently who are in high school um they'd reached out and they were just like they're so down on themselves right now they're down on their teachers they're down on everything and like they left at the height of so much right they those kids you know they were in a published book they left completely confident in their abilities and then they end up in classrooms that don't feed that Um, and so like, I've, it makes me so sad, honestly, but it also like when you're, when you're, when you have those kids in your class, like I always said, like coming from a school that was very title one, that was very struggling, et cetera, et cetera. It was my responsibility to make them confident that so that they cared. I wanted them to feel like they were doing great stuff, even when they weren't right. And I think a lot of teachers don't want to do that because they it's almost like a, no, you're not doing great stuff. You should know your errors, right? You should know your Lexile score. You should know, you know, how poorly you're doing. And I think there's room for that. I think it's valuable to know where your data is, but I also think it's destructive at some point, right? Like to be told you suck all the time, <laughs> which is what happens oh, yeah. when you're behind. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it has a negative, uh, result. And so what I did in my classroom repeatedly and the, the way I think you make a breakthrough for kids like you're describing and, and anyone is to set up scenarios where kids can be successful no matter what. To, to set up scenarios where it's like, oh, you put words on the page? That's awesome, dude. Like, that's great. But because you're conferencing and because you're moving around and because you have a workshop model, you are – it's not – the workshop the, – the reason why workshop is so beautiful is it's not contingent on this is where kids should be. It's contingent on this is where you are. Let's grow you. And that is mm-hmm. an entirely different perspective. That's an entirely mm-hmm. different goal. It shifts how you teach. It shifts how you talk to kids. It shifts small group. It shifts conferences. It shifts mini lessons. It is it is a fundamental difference between making kids feel judged in your class versus making them feel like they're just working on what they're working on. And I think that is a 
is, is such a fundamental piece to not only workshop, but making kids feel successful is it's like, Hey, this is where you're at. And you know, a lot like last year, for instance, I had a lot of kids who wanted to lie about their writing. They wanted to cheat in some way. They wanted to pull stuff from the internet. They wanted to, uh, you know, just essentially f- try to fake their way through the writing process. And what I kept telling them is it's like, there's no reason to do this. You're not, I'm not judging you on if you're meeting grade level, you're four grade levels behind. It's not going to happen. I didn't say this right. But in my head, I'm saying, you know, you're, you're an, you're a seventh grader writing at a third grade level. If I judge you as a seventh grader, you're never going to have success. But if I judge you on growth, if I judge you on how well you're implementing our mini lessons, if I judge you on how well you're implementing the process over and over again, right? That is a fundamental shift and it allows me to give so much more praise to a kid, which allows them to write more, allows them to think more, allows them to conference more. It allows them to care more, which inevitably is going to lead to more work, more quality and guide them in that right direction. But I think where a lot of teachers go wrong is they're like, well, kids should be here. And if they're not, I should fail them. I think it's wrong. Yeah, no, I, I think that I think I think you have some major points there. Uh, one, I, I want to talk about that workshop model, and I think that's where that where I, you know, I'm I'm hitting on the fact that that you're looking at their growth, and I do think I agree with you that workshop is the best place for you to really do that. But in that workshop, that's why that's why uh, Jacob ownership. And choice and all of that stuff is so important at this point in time because you have to start where they are and you have to see what they know. I think so many times um, they have been told what to write and have been told that their writing is bad, like what you're saying, you know, the scores are low, whatever, over and over to the point that they don't have confidence. So then they they really don't know what to write because they've not been allowed to think about what to write. And they don't think that their thoughts matter. And that to me is where I think I've been, you're talking about successful. I, I do feel like I've been successful there, uh, even with teachers and uh, with adults and with students, uh, younger students. And that is allowing them to start where they know and and start and then build them up from there and then start having them do other things that are more difficult. And you just kind of walk them through it and you model for them and you show them how to go about it and you actually write with them. Um, That way they know that you understand. So my kids, because they've seen me write, they've given me topics to write about. I've written about those topics where they have actually, you know, they have put me in their place. I've allowed them to put me in the place of, okay, y'all give me something to write about real quick. And they start throwing stuff out and then I'll say, okay, I'm going to write about this then. And I'll start writing and they'll, they'll start helping me. And I'm like, wait, I thought, I thought y'all said y'all couldn't write. Wait, I thought y'all said, you know, y'all were telling me you don't have any ideas, but you're giving me ideas. Okay. Now y'all need to write, you know, so you can do some things like that, that allow them to have, if you will, the, the, the courage to write on that page. And, uh, but then when they start writing, instead of saying, 
Well, that's not a complete sentence. Why didn't you write a complete sentence? Do you not know? We learned sentences in the third grade. You know, I see that happening a lot. Maybe not as rude as I just sounded, but that's how they, that's how they take it. That's how they take it. The the grading scale says that even if you don't say it with your words. Exactly. And so, so these kids get, I'm not going to put another sentence down because none of my sentences are good enough. And so then you got to fight that or they've been used to what your kids are used to or my kids. And that is writing quite a bit. And then they get to the next level and they're all like, nope, we have to do, we have to do it this way. We have this test coming up and you have to be able to write the AP test and you have to do it like this and you have to make sure you have these parts to it. And then they never allow time because the time constraints are so so tight and the demands are so high on the teacher that the teacher often feels stressed and doesn't understand that, you know, they, they're feeling stressed. They got to get this done. They have to have this work done that, that the stress is actually going into the student and the students having difficulty with that. And I, I've seen that too. And, and I think even in those stressful moments, they have to be able to, you have to relax and let them write and allow them to grow and trust. As we've said, Dr. Carroll has said this, you've got to trust the process and the process of writing. You've got to trust the writing. You've got to trust that the more practice they have at writing just about anything will allow them to be able to write what, what you need them to. But without that practice of just writing, they're never going to, they won't have the confidence to put the enough words down. That's what I'm saying. And so like when we're talking about like building confidence for readers and writers, I mean, this goes to any content truthfully. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, let, I mean, I, let's broaden it. Why not? Just in case someone else <laughs> stumbles across this or a math teacher listens. Uh, you and I have seen multiple math classrooms. I've, I've been in, oh, yeah. I've been in pretty much every content on my campus this year. And the one thing that happens in any classroom where a teacher is passionate about what they do and cares about kids is they allow kids to struggle, but in a, in a loving way, or they create a scenario through direct teaching where kids feel comfortable, like saying, I don't get this right. Or this doesn't make sense, but in, and not a punitive way, right? Like I sat in a math classroom, I don't know, maybe a month ago ish and teacher was super energetic, super engaging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, not a lot of individual practice, but the, the whole lesson was very much designed around like kids, like responding to the teacher. Like it was very much like feed, like the something was shown kids responded. There was a lot of jokes thrown around, but ultimately like you knew there was respect in the classroom. You knew that there was growth in the classroom because the teacher was able to when like, it was like they were joking, but then it was like, okay, now we need to do this. And the kids all started working, right? Like you could see the dynamic, like kids understood the difference between play and work, et cetera, et cetera. I think that is really important to share because obviously we talk about workshop and kids working through things, but it's not the only way to do this stuff. You can build confidence in a lot of ways. You can build kids capacity, in a lot of ways. And I think it's important to, to understand that, but also just, just know your style. Like I, you and I ran workshop differently, but same at the same time. Right. 
and we we run it differently and same at the same time than other people. But I ultimately what it comes down to is kids being comfortable just to ask questions, kids being comfortable to struggle and to fail and to be in that kind of essence of what teaching is. And I think that is so interesting because, you know. And this is on my mind because we did uh, I was in six interviews today. You know, you're asking mm-hmm. people, you know, what they what the, what do they think good teaching practices are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens is you quickly know who values struggle in learning and who just assigns. Right. You and I have often said, are you are you a writing teacher? You're writing a signer. There's a fundamental mm-hmm. difference. Are you a reading teacher? Or are you a reading assigner? Those are two different skill sets. And I think that applies to any subject. Are you are you trying to teach kids to think like a historian or are you assigning history questions? Right. Are you teaching kids to think mathematically or are you assigning math problems like those are that is all like a fundamental shift in thinking. But it changes how you approach these kids. But I think that leads to that feeling of letting kids feel successful. I think there's one path that leads to that and there's one path that makes kids feel Everything in the classroom is punitive. Everything is judgmental. And I think that doesn't lead to kids feeling successful. Well, when you're talking about um, bringing it into other subjects, you know, when I when I taught history, uh, honors history in this particular situation, we had to do the DBQ because I was getting kids ready for the AP test. So I taught them. The first DBQ we did, we just did the outline. We just, I taught them how to read the, read this, um, you know, read the primary sources and read the secondary sources and then gave them several, you know, to practice with, et cetera. And then we figured out how to pull information out of that, that we would need that would be considered important. The second time that we did the DBQs, we had to do a DBQ because it was, it was by, our curriculum. I mean, we have to, right? It was not anything. I didn't have a choice, but I I broke it down into pieces, showed them some, of course. And then, but the second time that they did it, we actually took it all the way through the outline. And then they had to write their, their thesis statement, you know, cause that's their very important part. And that's all we did. We put it on cards and we organized it and I taught them how to organize one, but we didn't write it. The third time we did it, and all of these are different subjects. So the third time we did it, we actually took it all the way to, we took it all the way through to the writing piece. And in the meantime, we've been writing other things, you know, short answers, long answers, response questions, and all of that. So they've been practicing writing. Well, then the last time that we did it, their culminating DBQ thing was where they had to actually create their own DBQ. So they had to actually study. Um, they actually had to study um, anything in history that they wanted that we had talked about, anything that they wanted to go deeper into. something. So they could choose any topic in the, that era of history that we did. Anyway, what the kids did is they had to find their own primary sources they had to think like a historian. They had to figure out what would be the most important thing that they needed based on what we've done in the past. And then they had to actually write their own question. That would be a DBQ question. And then, and a DBQ for everybody is a document-based 
question. It's a question that they have to answer in a long form, um, you know, that's based on primary source documents. Well, anyway, the whole thing is we had done all of that. The kids enjoyed it. They got to do, they wrote the essay, but then they got to create like a documentary afterwards. So the kids all had to, had to turn their little essay into a documentary. So it was a little long process, but it was fun and the kids enjoyed it. Well, later on, and when I say later on, I'm talking about, I ran into one of those kids in high school. They had just taken their actual AP history test. So she stayed on track. She took her AP I think uh, American history test. And she found me and said, oh my goodness, Miss Ochoa, you remember when we did that DBQ? Because we did that DBQ. I know I scored well on this one. I ended up with a five. I mean, she scored really well. She said, it's because of what you taught us back in seventh grade. So it was really kind of a neat um a, a neat thing. And so I think what, what I'm trying to say is that her confidence was built because I took her and I scaffold for her, and that was in social studies. But I turned them into, if you will, historians. They had to find their own topic. They had to go research their own topic. But it wasn't just a research project. They knew that there was something they were going to have to do in the future. And so they had to come up with what they thought was important, create their own questions. And so I turned it into a problem for them. And we had, I think it was probably one of the best social studies assignments I ever uh, gave when it came to that kind of thing. And I, and I, and I, I guess the proof that their confidence was built was when that one person came back to me and was so excited about her score because she, she credited it to that process that we did. So your story reminded me of a story. Can I tell a story real quick? Sure. I told mine it was kind of long. I didn't mean to make it that long. No, it's okay. <laughs> You're a great storyteller, but we, so uh, a few years ago, the one, well, now is one, two, three, four. So four years ago, roughly, I taught <clears throat> the kids that are in the Rightfully Empowered book. They were sixth graders. Um, they, so at the time I taught honors and on level. And what I did is there was two kids who showed a lot of capacity for deep thinking, deep writing, et cetera, et cetera. And so I kind of coached them for like the first semester. I was like, oh, you know, maybe maybe they can kind of take a step. Like they were just a little different um, than the class that they were in. Started working with them. I started challenging them. And then what I ended up doing, which I think this is really interesting about like you know, our society, I, we say this all the time on podcasts. I come up with a topic and I'm like, we should do that. And then we never do it. We should talk about hierarchies and how that pertains to education, because I think it's interesting because we oh. don't, we live in an era where hierarchies are not valued, right? Like the, it's the, like the, <clears throat> the tiered, like some so-and-so is superior because of this is it's not it's not really in vogue right now right it's very unpopular right. um which i'm not a huge fan of i think people earn what they earn now, you know not always but they're i think they're for a vast majority i think hierarchy is really valuable anyway that was a <laughs> that was a weird that digression was, okay my point is is that in schools i think this is valuable right honors education ap education et cetera et cetera Oh, yeah. Um, so what I did is these two kids is I was like, I think y'all could be honors kids. I was like, what I want y'all to do 
And so I want you to write what you really care about. Stop writing this like, uh, you know, this stuff that's just fun. You know, you can write fun, but I want you to really write what you care about. Like put your feelings on the page. They ended up being two kids. One of them didn't make it into Rightfully Empowered for different reasons, but one of them did. She's the most published student in Rightfully Empowered. It's public knowledge, Viviana Castro. She is one of the greatest poets I've ever known in my entire life. Um, she'll be a famous writer one day, but uh, she's, she has the most pieces in Rightfully Empowered, but it was because she was this young girl who had a lot to say, but she wasn't willing to do it yet. And so what I did is... Not only did I build her up through conferences, but when I put her in the the next level of class, so to speak, when I moved her, she grew this confidence. And that confidence just kept going, right? And so, like, I think another piece of, like, making kids feel successful is I think there is a merit system that we've disregarded uh, for a variety of reasons. But I think it's willing to – I, I think it's a, a worthy topic to talk about, which is – People earn what they get a lot of the time. And I think it's it's valuable in schools to be like, you know what? You're working hard. You should be in this tier. Um, I think that the everyone gets a particip- participation trophy is a little outdated. Um, I think that we should value hard work. I think we should value production. I think we should value all of these things. Now, we can have the conversation what that means for sure, for sure. But I don't think that those things should go away. And I've seen that success. I have I have taken kids from on-level to honors classes in a middle school setting and seen them just beam with, like, pride, right? And, and like, oh, I'm, I'm in this tier now, especially if they've never been in that quote-unquote tier before, right? And now we know, like, not everyone in honors should be in honors. Like, we know all of those conversations. But I, I still think that this, the, the value of making kids feel successful, I think, like, if our educational institutions um, in public school and out, out, outside of that, I think it pays to hold that stuff uh, to a higher degree. I think you can you can win over a lot of kids and be like, hey, you know, I know you're struggling here, but you're in, you're intelligent, you're hardworking, et cetera, et cetera. Let's get you into a a higher tier class. And I I I don't know. I think that's such a it's this merit. Like, why would people work harder if there's no merit? Right. Like it's mm-hmm. it, why would people sacrifice and and give their all and and go the extra mile if there's nothing to pay for it? Like we've like one of this is I've seen this at the high school level, like the the kids at the top of the class, they start playing all these like games. Right. They're like, well, if I take this class, then I'll be at this tier, it's, you know, and, and they start like uh they start playing this credit game, so to speak, or the, uh, the accolades, the game. And it's just like, if we had a, maybe not national, but even in districts, if they were just like, here's the tiers, this is how you get to the next level. I think there's so much value in challenging kids to do that. Now, does that mean every kid see that? No, like there's like, for me, like there would be no chance in mathematics, right? Like I would, I would have been like, you know what? I'm fine being the bottom 10%. Like I'm okay. I don't need, (laughs) you know what I mean? And that's okay. Like it is okay. Knowing your weaknesses, 
But why not set up hierarchies to let the best of the best in their subject be the best? Right. And I'm about to take a big detour. Stay with me, Ochoa. I started watching, uh, I, I came across this, this drum line, the, the, the Boston Crusaders 2022 drum line. Incredible. Like literally the best drum I've ever heard in my entire life. I was watching it the other night and I was like, I can't believe this stuff exists. It is so good. It's so clean. Some of the best stuff, but like they're top of the top, like they are cream of the crop, like the best, some of the best young drummers on in the United States. And they should know that they should get those accolades. They should not be compared to a different drum line that has no like hope of being like that. Like, I think like we need that competitive stuff in education. Like when we think about making kids successful, I think sometimes that idea goes to, well, we need to make all kids feel successful. It's like, yeah, you should make kids successful in their growth. But at the same time, like we need, like, I think there's a piece about education that it's like, we need to honor the top of the top. We need to honor the kids who are next level. We need to honor the kids that are willing to put in the work to be next level if they're not naturally gifted. And I think we've lost some of that in education, but I'm a, I'm a complete proponent of it. Like, and I don't know. I know I'm, I've, I've stepped on my soapbox a little bit on this subject, but it's like, I, I, I think that just the, the hierarchy and the, the valuing of hard work, um, within like a, a tiered system. I think that leads to that because you're, if you're success, if everyone's successful, your success means nothing. And I, I think that's a hard pill to swallow for some people in today's age. Yeah, I think so. But that doesn't mean they can't be successful at something. They just may right. not be successful in that area. And um, one of the things that I'm doing right now, the kids, you know, we supposed to do research. So the research that my students are doing right now is they had to find something that they enjoy doing. I didn't care what it was. I had one kid, he goes, I can't think of anything. All I do is go home and play games. Well, I believe that's true and sleep. I said, is there anything else you'd like to do? Anything at all? What do you do if you're not playing your games and you're not sleeping? And you're out and about. And he goes, well, I like to catch lizards. And I said, okay, then let's look at that. So the whole thing is, is they have to find something like that, anything that they enjoy doing. I don't care what it is. And I told them that I love, I have for the last 30 something years, have done for a living things I enjoy. And they should be able to do things they enjoy, too, because it makes making money easy, fun, right? And easier when you, you know, you don't have to make a lot of money. But so anyway, what what we started doing is it, with that thing you enjoy doing, is there any jobs out there that involve it? So the lizard thing, I said, OK, let's look up lizards. So he looks up what are jobs that deal with lizards? <laughs> I mean, we really did that. And they started talking about, he found that there are, you know, wildlife jobs and preservation jobs and that many lizards are endangered. And it just started listing all the different things. He was like, wow. Okay. I said, well, then there's, if that's what you want to do, go do that one. So they're researching something that they enjoy, even if it's like lizards. And he is now no longer playing the video games 
like he was in the classroom sneaking a video game. He's actually on that computer. And I go over there and I look at my Go Guardian and he's actually looking up stuff he's enjoying and uh, looking up how to make money off of lizards. One of the things that they have to do is they have to create a plan. How are they going to, you know, their education and all of that. So I'm saying that sometimes these kids don't know what that next level is. You know what I mean? They don't know what's out there. And so I like this little, I like this little project that I do because it allows them to see something, but it's different than the other career projects, I think, because it starts with something they enjoy, like a hobby, you know, making models. Is there anything out there that you could make extra money with making models? You know, is there anything out there? So I got all kinds of interesting topics that the kids are doing. And some are, you know, they decided that, well, they're going to be a surgeon because their mother's a doctor. And so that's what they're researching. But the whole thing is, is, is they're learning about school and about, you know, we're, you know, and so because they have to create a plan on how they're going to get there. And so it's neat to watch them all really trying to do this assignment. I've got one kid who's, he's the one that's my real, my brilliant kid. And he comes to me and goes, Miss Ochoa, I really don't like anything but math. So he and I really don't relate. That's, that's all he likes is math. And I said, well, then let's look at math jobs. So he's decided that he wants to do something with statistics after looking at all of that. And so he goes, so what should I do next? And so I gave a list. Well, why don't you look up, uh, you know, the best colleges for that. And of course we discussed, I told him, I said, MIT is probably going to be up there. And sure enough, he's like, oh my gosh, it's number one for what I want to do. And I'm like, okay, we'll go find out what you have to do to get there. And then, um, but it's just kind of neat. So he'll probably be very successful based on what we've done. I'm hoping that by showing them a little bit about what might be out there for them, that they will, maybe I didn't think about it in a way of, of building confidence, but maybe just by having that knowledge and creating a little bit of a plan, it might put them on a, on the path that'll let them do some something and be successful in what they want to be in. But some may be way more successful than others based on what they choose to do in the world's view of success. But to me, if you're doing something you enjoy, then I think success is there for you already because you're doing something you really enjoy doing. And if you can do something with that to help the world out, help yourself out, help others out, you know, I think that's cool. So, and I like using reading and writing and we have to do a research. We're supposed to be doing research. So that's what we're doing, but they get to choose their own topics and uh, it's really neat. And then their product has to be something they've never done before. So I've got several that are creating websites and stuff like that. So they've got to create a product that they've never done at all. So. Ladies and gentlemen, this is for the Craft the Draft podcast. What a great. That's Pam and Tom Jacob Chastain. We're two English teachers. I said, do what we love. She is still in the classroom. I am an assistant principal, but we are still around. We're still talking about craft. We're still talking about workshop. We're still talking about making kids successful. If you enjoy that, subscribe to the podcast at no cost to you. Hit that subscribe button. Leave a review if this podcast was helpful to you or if you want extra podcast, extra content, extra everything. Join us on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash craft and draft slash 
what patreon.com slash craft the draft or go to craft the draft workshop.com slash uh patreon if you want to go to that we just like alicia brandy leah mark amy sarah rebecca courtney and carol and Alyssa, destiny Lori, natalie susan tracy andrea hannah Lori, jen matt amanda and donna all do they get bonus content they get the craft and draft system delivered directly to them via our training and so much more we do some training this summer now's the time to sign up if you have it if you can't do that give toss a couple dollars away that is okay subscribe leave a review everything else keep craft and draft going what craft and draft going i am not doing well in this outro that's <laughs> pitbull show i'm jacob chastain and know that we are here for you 